The final frontier begins. This is about saving the future of humanity. This is a huge victory for the good guys. You've never seen Voyager. Commitment to this course of action is not emotional. Johnny, beam us up. Welcome to another episode of Beam Me Up, a Star Trek podcast. I am Brent Allen, and I have seen every episode of Star Trek 47 times. And I'm Matt Sonnenberg, and this is my first time through the series. And this is the show where we are on a mission to introduce people to the universe of Star Trek by watching, in air date order, only the most important episodes that deal with the lore, the history, and the timeless message of Star Trek. And I'm not sure what it is, but I feel like you did that intro slightly differently. And part of me wants to say you're hinting at something, but I really don't know what it is. Something changed. Something changed. I don't know. In any case, one thing that hasn't changed is beamuppod.com. You can go check that out. Beamuppod.com. Get a hold of us. Check out all the old episodes. And then go check out beamuppodgiveaway.com because we're giving away some cool stuff all the time now. At least I think it's going to be all the time now. If not, you can see what we gave away last time. Beamuppodgiveaway.com. Yeah, we have a brand new item up right now that you guys want to make sure you go check that out and see because we just gave away last month. So you guys definitely, uh, if you're listening to this concurrently, go check that out. If you're listening to this in the future and the show is still going, the plan is we're probably still giving something away. So you can still go to beamuppodgiveaway.com and just jump into whatever giveaway we're doing at whatever point you uh, you check out this episode. Before this, today's episode is the 13th episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 5, entitled For the Uniform, or as I like to call it, Look Down, Look Down, It's Michael Eddington, Look Down, Look Down, Ben is going crazy. In case you didn't watch this one first. In this episode, Cisco becomes obsessive about capturing Michael Eddington, the Federation traitor. Matt, we're going to get into this episode, but you told me right before we went in, sometimes I'm curious as to why you choose an episode. This one I knew right away. Talk to me about it, my friend, for the uniform. I think last time we saw Eddington, we kind of talked about how he's a new big bad Mm. of sorts. I mean... Maybe not as long and strung out as perhaps like the Borg or something like that, mm-hmm. but temporarily at least, at least as much as Seska was. It's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Good right? comparison. Good comparison. Yeah. And, or lore, you know, because we get these, right? Seska over mm-hmm. in Voyager, lore, you know, he just, pop, you know, they don't pop up a ton, but they do pop up enough. Yeah. Yep. But like, I, I was kind of sad to see Seska go. I thought she was going to be a great long-term villain. Mm-hmm. And now Eddington, Eddington, on the other hand, I have a tougher time with. <laughs> I kind of told you from the beginning that I didn't like Eddington and he needed to go. Oh, you, you nailed this from the very first time we saw Eddington in the yeah. show, like when he was still wearing a Starfleet uniform, you nailed him. And, yeah. and that's, that kind of makes me wonder how much did they have planned back then? Did they have this whole idea that he was going to turn or was this just happenstance and turned out that way? And so he like, cause if they had that in mind, I could see, okay, if they told him that and said, Hey, by the way, this is going to happen eventually. And he can, he can build some of those traits mm-hmm. and stuff into his character that make you not like him a little bit more. But part of me wonders if that's just the care, how the character was. And they said, yeah, we, we don't need this guy on the ship anymore. So we're going to make him a bad guy now. Or the, the writer saw him and were like, Ooh, he would make a good bad guy. Didn't mean for that mm-hmm. to happen. But you know, sometimes the way the actor portrays him as so, a, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the biggest difference though, because like the close, closest comparison I could come up with. And, and I think you said you agree is Seska and like Seska, I feel for whatever reason, it made sense to me that she was a good bad guy. Sure. Whereas Eddington, I feel that they are, I feel it's more of a stretch to make him as smart and as clever as they have now written him Mm -hmm. and giving him so much credit. I mean, in this episode, we found out like planting viruses that neither Chief O'Brien or Odo ever, ever found out about. Like, you're not that good. I don't think like... Obviously, that's the way your character's written now, and so I guess it's canon, and I guess you are that good, 
but mm-hmm. I don't know. I never felt you were that good. I, I felt you were more on the in-up side and maybe, you know, well, that's, that, 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 that's how good you are is you made me think you were inept. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's just too good and I don't like him for that. But th- there's there's something about Eddington I just didn't care for for him from the beginning and still don't really like him as a bad guy even. All of that's fair, Matt. That's that's um I think I think the best bad guys are the ones you really love to hate. You know what I mean? Uh and and this is where I point back to like uh Kai Wynn. Like like I, she makes my skin crawl. I hate everything about her and I yep. love to hate her. Like there I don't want to like this woman. Dolores Umbridge over in the Harry Potter universe. We we compare her all the time. Like you like there's Voldemort. I can deal with him as a big bad. I but but Umbridge is a different thing altogether. And, and mm-hmm. she might actually be the most evil person in the entire universe over there. Kaiwen, well, her story remains uh uncompleted for you yet. So we'll let that lay out there. But there's some there are some bad guys like a Michael Eddington where you're just like, I don't like this guy and I don't like anything about him and I don't want to like him. Like at mm-hmm. all. So you're not wrong on that, Matt. You're not wrong on that. Uh, this episode today for the uniform, Matt, I, I like this episode. I really do. Um, I have a particular affinity for the almost overuse of the Les Miserables uh, comparison. And I asked okay. you some time ago if you'd ever seen or heard or or you know if you knew anything about the play and, yeah. and the script. I never really knew anything about this until I got married to my wife. Now, those of you that know my Star Trek story know that my history with Star Trek goes back long before my relationship ever began with my wife. I never fully understood this episode until she is the one who introduced me to Les Mis. And, you know, I I, I, I don't love it like she does, but I certainly appreciate the story and I, I know it fairly well at this point. Um, I highly recommend it. Go watch the movie. It's pretty good. Um, even with Russell Crowe singing, which is not great, but whatever, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's good. But I, I have an all new appreciation for this episode really because of that. And I, I love, you know, this idea of, you know, in these great stories, the heroes have a villain that forces them to sacrifice themselves to become the hero. And so in order to catch him, I've got to become the heat, the villain, you know, like we, that story, that, that line of reasoning and he does it and you see Eddington be like, all right, Javert, I'll surrender myself to you and sacrifice myself. And Cisco's like, yeah, whatever, dude, I got you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's a, a big reason I love this episode uh-huh. is Cisco's line of reasoning at the end. Yeah. Like the last 10 minutes of this thing are fantastic. Oh, it builds this episode builds and, and it doesn't get to just the typical pew, pew, pew act five. Like mm-hmm. it, they, they layer it in just the right way as they go. Cause Matt, I, I don't know if you noticed, there's no B plot in this episode. I, I, I was wondering if you were going to try to pull something out and I thought it like, no, 75% of the way through, I'm like, you can maybe kind of pull this out to the side, but I, I haven't been, no, the, no, it's all one plot. It's, like it was straightforward. Uh-huh. Like mm-hmm. this is what we're doing this episode. Everybody's involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, before we get into all that, and we'll, we'll definitely dive into all the, the deepness of this episode that it is. I do have one, um, spotlight that I'd like to do on this particular, uh, episode, but it has nothing to do with anybody you saw on screen. What I'd like to point out is the person who actually wrote this episode. He has a name that is, that is much loved and one that should be very well respected around the conversation of star Trek. And his name is Peter Allen fields. Now, Peter has been around since the days of next generation back during next generation. We saw him all the way in the latter half of the fifth season and through the sixth season, he was uh, a script consultant, which is a fairly low level person. He's actually a lawyer by trade. Um, today he's 84 years old. So I haven't done the math on what that would be. So he was in his fifties. I think at that, about that is yeah. 50 forties or fifties when he started working with star Trek. Right. Uh, just like I said, as a script consultant, um, he wound up, uh, doing things with the writing staff. He became a co-producer here on deep space nine through the first season. And then through the second season, he wrote three episodes for, for next generation, wrote three episodes here for deep space nine before leaving star Trek. But he continued to write like sort of on a freelance basis. And he contributed like another seven episodes after that, after he left. If, if I understand the timeline, right. Somebody's out to be like, no, he actually wrote four and only contributed six, whatever it is. Email me. Let me know. I'd love to know if I'm wrong. 
wrong. But as I understand it, that's that's pretty much how he how it works. But um, he was he was instrumental. He is the guy who created the character of Elam Garrick and introduced him to us back in that second episode of Deep Space Nine. And um, oh gosh, uh, let's see here. One of the other so in in Next Generation we actually did two of his two of his three episodes. We did Half a Life. If you remember that one with um, Loxana Troy and the guy who had to commit suicide at sixty, yep. and then also the Inner Light the super fantastic Picard episode where he lives a whole other life. Um, and, and here on deep space nine, uh, he did Dax, which was the one where we developed, uh, the story of Dax, uh, which we did as an extra viewing episode. He did duet, which is a fantastic one. He did the circle, which was part of that trilogy. He did blood oath necessary evil. He did crossover, which is the one where they sent him over to the mirror universe for the uniform. And he does two more super important episodes. So the episodes that this guy does, like when you see his name on it, and this is one of them mark it. Cause like, these are like when his name pops up as the writer, you're like, Ooh, this one's going to be a good one. Okay. You know what I mean? Like typically you're like, wow, this is, this is a Peter Allen field. So, um, he actually won a Hugo award for the, for the inner light and his work on that as well. So after, after, uh, he left deep space nine, he actually went and joined Michael pillar when he left Voyager to go mirror. So like he did a couple other shows before he started getting sick, uh, and, and passed away. Peter on films worked with, with Michael pillar, like continued to work with him and kept that relationship going. So, uh, anyway, I just want to point him out to you. You're probably never going to meet him, but you will definitely hear him. His, his, again, his, his is a name that is very well respected around the world of star Trek, uh, Peter Allen fields. So with that, Matt, that's all I have because everybody else we know we've met everybody at this point. So I'll turn it over to you. Uh, We'll talk about the a plot. There is no B plot, but let's start Matt where we always like to start. Are there any specific plot points or things that came out that you're like, Oh, I got to make sure I hit on that. Even if it's not really a part of the plot. I just found myself taking so many notes in a row, just like everything's listed under a plot. Okay. So (laughs) I'll see what I can do. However you want to do it, brother. Yeah. The hollow communicator. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I thought, I, I mean, thought you'd pull that one out. Yeah. Yeah. New for this episode. Uh-huh. They, they, they made a point of it. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean that I, I, I was trying to think of reasons for that and it's like, okay, one to just kind of say, Hey, yeah, we're still developing new tech, I guess is one thing. Uh, part of me wondered if it was like a cost savings thing. Like, was it cheaper to just put the actor on the stage with everybody else instead of putting them up on a screen for, I mean, I, 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 you had to employ a secondary camera to put them up on the screen. I, I don't know. Um, they, because then they don't have to build a set behind them either. Right. They, they, they don't have they to bring it them. in and turn the cameras around and do yep. the blue screen and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, I, I, like part of me said, maybe it's just a cost savings thing. It's like, yeah, let's just, uh, write some techno babble and say, yeah, they can appear right, right here on the bridge with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, that, that was part of it. But then I kind of wondered, you know, what other fun things could they do with this technology? If you can make yourself appear basically anywhere. Cause like the, the other captain said, it, it looks like you're sitting on my bridge. And like, I, 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 I guess I'm guessing like, do you need special equipment to either activate or project one of these things i mean the guy was kind of in that little circle thing yeah you know on the bridge so you would assume that they have one too yeah my my thought was you know they they can't like say project themselves onto a bad guy's ship and say ha 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 see what i just did and and like create distractions or something that way you know i feel like we've seen that happen with bad guys doing that to the like the enterprise and i can't think of the specific episode off the top but like they just beat literally they just beam him in a hologram and we were like oh intruder alert and he's like no no no, i'm just a hologram i'm not really here you know uh and they they mess with him that way (laughs) i mean that that's what happened time and time and time again in this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I I made the note that the Maquis are really good at faking signals because they they you know had this probe disguised to to make them think it was their ship. They right. had uh, um I think so, something else with Eddington. Um I don't know if they were disguising their ship again or just disguising something. And it's like you guys should have like anti whatever that is technology by now. If you, if you know them, Maki are just going to keep doing this. Like right. with all the sensors and everything you have, like, can't you sense if it's a fake signal or just like, 
that that's what gets me sometimes it's like sometimes they can scan a ship and tell me exactly how many people are on it exactly what cargo they're carrying exactly who those people are that are on it you know even if it's just their race or whatever um but then other times it's like you can't tell that that's just a probe emitting a signal and not an actual ship didn't you like scan for life forms or something like i i i don't know i don't know so i mean it's always what's convenient for the story i get it but some of it just feels a little inconsistent sometimes well let's talk about the hollow communicator yeah because it's interesting you pulled out the two things that you pulled out which were is this just about advancing tech? And then was this a cost savings thing? Okay. So here's the story behind it. Uh, Robert, uh, not Robert Hurt Wolf, Ronald D. Moore was really kind of, he'd been pitching this thing for a while to the showrunners going, hey, so view screens are like so TOS, man. Wouldn't we develop <laughs> like new technology that would actually, you know, we've got all these fancy decks and everything. Can't we just put them on the bridge and just let them talk like normal? And our Stephen Bear was like, yeah, shoot, let's go for it. And for this episode, especially they're like, to have Eddington there on the bridge mm-hmm. talking directly, like it made the drama so much more real that they thought would have just been obliterated if they were trying to do this through a view screen. Right. Like, so, so they were well, real like happy you're, to you're do almost, it. I, I, I'm kind of surprised, even though he knows it's just a hologram or whatever, like Cisco didn't get up and try to punch him in the face. Right. Or tackle him or it's something. Like his hand like, goes through the light. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. It, it's, it, it, it's a thing. So they went for it and they said, yeah, we're going to do it. Let's let's And they said, you know, they've been installed and chief O'Brien's been working on it, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. They went and they did it. However, there are some logistical implications that doing something like this, that the writers didn't really count on. And the visual effects team actually had a really hard time with this one because they were trying to make it look like this was a communicator and not a beam in. That was the problem they were having. Like it just looks like just beamed in and they don't want that. It's got to look like it's a, it's a projection. And so they had to have like extra cameras doing this weird work going around it to show that it it actually is in 3d, a 3d projection. Not uh, because remember we're watching this on a 2d television screen, Mm -hmm. right? Like I showed, no, this is a three. It's not just a flat image. Well, you know, they have all this kind of stuff and actually it wound up costing a lot more money <laughs> than just putting somebody up on a view screen. But our Stephen bear was like, you know, this is great. We don't have to, you know, bring in the backdrop and the set and pause and do all that kind of stuff. Like we just put this guy here, but it did, it wound up costing him more money. And the visual effects supervisor was like, look, you guys keep doing this. This goes against Gene Roddenberry's original vision of the future of view screens, which was created in the first place to save money. <laughs> and so now it's costing more money. So unfortunately, Matt, they would only go on to use the hollow communicator one more time mm. and they just go back to view screens and, and I hate it because I think the hollow communicator is a super cool yeah. piece of, of equipment, but the, the whole reason, as you just said was, Hey, this is the 24th century. Now, a hundred years later, shouldn't they have better communication technology? And the answer is, yeah, they should. <laughs> the, the, the tech that they used or how it looked honestly kind of reminded me of what we started to see in what is yet a few years away at this time of the the second star wars trilogy yeah because they they kind of implement a lot of like holographic images of 3d people and such yeah and it kind of reminded me of that i'm like i once again this may be kind of star trek pioneering this and saying hey look Mm -hmm. what we can do but yeah like that's that's the vibe that i got and i had to remind myself that this came first it is true yeah yeah because episode one wouldn't premiere for another year after this episode uh aired a year and change actually so yeah you know it's one of those it makes me sit back and go you know we we have facetime now as we record this yes i really would like the the hall at least i think i want the hollow communicator because honestly <laughs> i don't want to use facetime a whole i don't want to talk to you just text me like yep as like my preferred method of contact is actually the least amount of contact i can have with a person mm-hmm. and i think that's true for everybody like or most people like i don't want well, to pick up the phone and talk to you i don't want you know <laughs> i don't want to facetime you even less because then i gotta worry about I, how i, I look. mean hey the reality of it you can text someone when you're on the toilet you don't want to facetime them Right. But I mean, Matt, so, but for what you and I are doing right now, though, to have you like, cause we're, we're obviously we're in two different places, several States away. The magic of the internet is allowing us to connect and have this conversation to have like a technology where you're actually like sitting right here at the desk with me. And we're having this conversation. Like, 
I, you know, Matt, I, I got to tell you, I've been podcasting a long time and I think you'd probably agree with this. There's a different energy and a different vibe on a podcast when two people are in the same room versus mm-hmm. when they're doing it over the internet, like you and I are like as good as yeah. this show is, Oh, we'd be 10 times better if you and I were in the same room, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Yeah. I can't explain why it's like that. It just is. So I, that would be a situation where I'd want it, but that's not, um, that's not everyday commercial use. I don't think, you know, cause I still mostly, I just want to text like, yep. I get it. I get it. So that's all I really have about the, um, the hollow communicator, but I, 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 I was so glad you put, po- you pointed that out and I'm glad you pointed it out first. So there was one point in the episode where they, they reminded us of something that happened. Mm-hmm which was kind of nice because I had forgotten, but it just made me hate Eddington even more. When Odo came in and he's like, Captain, have you reminded Starfleet that the only reason Eddington was here because it was because they didn't trust me? And then I, I love the little interaction there too. It's just like, ah, no, I haven't done that yet. It's like, would you please? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a good point, I, right? It's a very it's a good great point. point. Yeah. They brought him in because they didn't trust Odo. Now uh-huh. Odo's the one we can trust and Eddington's the one causing trouble. Right. Like like I said, how much of this did they have planned from the beginning? Okay, can, can I go back and remind you of that because we've talked about this quite a bit. But mm-hmm. I, it's it's fine to talk about again. So remember they originally brought in the character of Michael Eddington because Cole Meany was out doing movies and had other conflicting things, so they brought him in basically to be there when Colm was out. Okay. Like that's why they created the character. And then it wasn't until, um, the finale episode of season three called the adversary, which if you remember, that's the one where the changeling pretended to be the ambassador and Cisco and Eddington had that conversation in his quarters on board the defiant, which is where you really started hating at Ed- Eddington. Cause they have this whole conversation of, you know, Cisco's was like, well, look, if you want to be commander, you could transfer to command. And he's like, Oh no, 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 that's not for me. That's not for me. They just wrote that. And Eddington played it so weird. Like he played it. Like maybe I'm a changeling. Maybe I'm not. Yeah. Right. But then remember I said, this is where the internet started coming along and people start going, oh, Eddington's a changeling. Eddington's a changeling. And the producers went, no, Eddington's not a changeling. So we're going to make him something completely different. They turned him into a Maquis. Yeah. Like, so it, it kind of, it, it was a way the actor portrayed it ver- combined with subterfuge of what the fans expectations were that sure. resulted in this. So it, it wasn't necessarily planned from the beginning, but you know, and then eventually they didn't need him anymore because Colmini stopped doing other movies and stuff and just committed full time. Finally to deep mm-hmm. space nine. <laughs> so they were able to get rid of him. And frankly, got the best episodes with him because other than that, he'd just show up every once in a while and he was just annoying. He was annoying yep. Odo. That's all he was. He was just Dude, annoying that, Odo. That's big part of the reason. Like, like it was double duty. Like they didn't need, they had Odo. They didn't need him. Yeah. yeah. I think they were going to try to probably introduce a little more conflict between Odo and, and Eddington. Yeah. You know, and it just never, it was never something that materialized. Like they eventually started working together. Okay. And it was fine. And it was just, he was there. That's all it was. Planting his viruses. Right. Like Seska did on Voyager. Mm -hmm. Towards the end. Yes. Of this episode. Mm -hmm. There's a really weird, I don't want to call it a quirk, but did you notice? Quirk? Oh, good. No. Did you notice that Cisco was wearing a phaser? No, I've never noticed that. He was. And I'm like, interesting. I, I kept expecting something to happen because I'm like, the only time they ever wear their phasers is when there's going to be a fight sequence. Right. And and usually it's when they like go down to a planet or something. Sure. Which would make sense why they take that with them then. Yeah. But he, he was like alone in his room. I think it was when Dax comes in to talk to him, maybe towards the end but okay. like he stands up and he's got this this phaser on his hip and i'm like what what you doing there cisco mm-hmm. what's going on like right. we, we always talk how the phasers come out of nowhere because you know they don't actually fit on the uniform and they never wear them except when, when they actually need to use them but i think he actually wore it without actually having to use it i i can't imagine why he would have actually worn it in person unless he was gonna wear it while going to apprehend eddington because something might be happening or something i i don't know I, I, I think it's not, I'm trying to remember, but I think it might've been well, while he was making his lay Miz speech. Mm, maybe it just made him look more villainous police officer. Like, <laughs> you know, cause, cause the villain in, in lay Miz was a police officer. Right. So yeah. maybe so, it had, okay. had that vibe is, to it. This is maybe? the second, second most 
um, time I've spent with Les Mis. Okay. So you mentioned in the beginning, and I don't, I don't know if anybody else has knows my background with Les Mis, but I basically have no background with it. <laughs> I have not seen the play musical. Uh-huh. I have not. Um, is it a book? I don't know. It is a book. Yeah. Okay. I, I haven't read yeah. the book. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, oh yeah. Cause, cause, cause he, he sent him the book. Duh. Um, so yeah, I have not read it. It's a, it's a Victor Hugo. It. It's a Victor Hugo. Yes. Book. Yes. Yeah. Cause Dax says I, I can't stand Victor Hugo. Right. Um, but the, the, the main interaction, the main reason I have any hint of what Les Mis is, mm-hmm. is when I was a kid watching Animaniacs. Okay. They, they do a, a Les Mis bit in one of the episodes. Do they? Yeah. I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. And, and apparently like there's a set of characters that, I mean, they, they have one specific episode. I think it's called like lay miseranimals or something like that. <laughs> okay. Um, but like, I've been told that they, they just always kind of feel like characters out of lay Miz most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know they, they parody other movies as well. Sure. Like the, that set of characters. Um, like that's, how I how I uh, learned what Rain Man was before I saw the movie was from Animaniacs, mm-hmm. like little things like that. I, I love, I love, but that's why I was very glad that in this episode, as they do so well in most episodes, they give you all the background you need, even if you've never seen or read. Oh, sure, the right. the source material that they're referencing. Right. Yeah, they have to. Right. Sure. And they also have to point out exactly what they're talking about from the source material. Right. There's so, <laughs> there's so much. Well, yeah, that, that's why we, yeah, they had to sit down and it's like, okay, Cisco and Dax, here you go. Explain away. Right. Right. <laughs> like, cause I mean, in, in layman's, especially cause there's so much going on in layman's like the, the storyline, while the main storyline is true is between Jean Valjean and Javert who Michael Eddington takes up the Jean Valjean and, and uh, Cisco takes up the Javert. See, yeah, that they become, they, but they become almost secondary characters by the second act until sure. they just sort of come back and do the, the, the climax at the end. And then that's it. Um, yeah, they almost get pushed to the side and threw out the play. So uh, that's just the play. I don't know about the book. That kind of tells you how big Les Mis is, though. Yeah. Um, is that when they started mentioning character names, like I I didn't really recognize the name Javert. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they said Valjean, like, and I think they only ever say Valjean in this episode. Right. In my head, I'm like, oh, that's Jean Valjean. I'm like, right. I, I know that name. Right, right. Hey, Matt, real quick, 10 points if you name the other Star Trek reference to Jean Valjean or just Valjean. No clue. I'm going to say it probably has something to do with Q. Yeah. It feels like something he would do. Okay. It was the name of nothing. it was the name of Chakotay's Maquis ship. Oof. Was the Valjean. Okay. So apparently the whole Les Mis thing is is something to do with the Maquis. Yeah. The Maquis is also a French name. Oh, oui, oui. You know what I got to see for... So, I, so I'm sorry. So you have no idea what my opening thing was about look down, look down. It's Michael Eddington. No, other than I think you... It Was that the song you sent me once? Did you send me a YouTube video? I did. That was a song called Master of the House, which is hilarious. Okay. That is not the one I sent you. <laughs> okay. Look yeah, down. Yeah, look down is no the... Clue. It's it's a, not that it matters much, but I'll tell you, it's the opening song to the, to the play. I... I assumed it had something to do with Les Mis because I mean, yeah. they definitely mentioned Les Mis and I, I know it's a musical. Sure. I know that I hang out with musical people and you've never seen Les Mis. I've never seen it. I can make you this promise. I will not take you and put you through that torture. Okay. Oh, don't tell my wife. <laughs> anyway, I think this is my first time officially. Oh, maybe it's the second time seeing cadet Nog. Mm, who just comes out of nowhere. Yep. Just poof. He's there. I have no idea. How did he get there? I don't know. (laughs) What's he doing there? No clue. We we needed his big ears. Right. Right. So the scene where they had him just, just FYI, where he's like relaying all the comms in the ship, which I thought was, that Mm -hmm. was a really cool. Well done scene the way they did that. Oh yes. I, I, I I mean, sure. We'll, we'll we'll bring that up now that, That is a fantastic scene. Just all the layers of things. Like, part of me wonders if they piece that together in post, all the audio we were hearing, or if they actually did that like one shot live, like that, whatever it is, like 
it was impressive to have all that going on and every, mm-hmm. you know, not, not to stumble over each other too much. Cause there right. was overlapping talking and, and like you could hear Nog in the background, but Dax in the foreground and yeah, it, it, like it, it was nice and it was fun. And I made a comment about it because I'm like, I know your ship is disabled, so you need to do things like this right now, but it just feels like this is a sort of like training exercise that you run from time to time. You should, now you know you should be running from time to right. time. Because <laughs> when technology goes down, um, Matt, but I... They didn't have too much of a problem with it. No, they, no, because, you know, the train. Matt, I got to tell you, complete side story. I used to run a pizza shop. I think I might have mm-hmm. told you the story before. Um, one of the things that I, and this would drive my employees crazy, but about every six months or so, uh, maybe even less than that, I would go in and I would shut the computers off. <laughs> And I would make the employees do everything by hand, like the old, because you realize like, did we didn't use computers like for ordering in pizzas until like, you know, at the time, like 10 years earlier, people have been doing pizza for years on paper and stuff. So I had to train them how to do it. And every, and especially during the winter where I was living at the time, we'd get these big ice storms that came in and would knock power out. We still had to keep making pizza. Right. And, uh, like I was and it happened probably about once a year we needed to be able to like get the kits out and just go by hand until power was restored because we we're an essential service during a uh you know weather hurricane or weather thing so, you, gotta so be able to provide food. you were you were still able to cook the food without power yes because it was a gas it was a gas oven oh i suppose so all, all we the, the only thing we really ha- oh and the 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 fridges were on uh backup generators sure so the fridges were on backup generators we had emergency lighting that we could use and then the gas the, the stove was gas and i guess the phones ran off of power from the telephone company which didn't run through the main power system of the store or something like that so i don't know i, I mean you know we're making pizza in the dark for sure yeah. you know uh, it's it's not anyway all of that to say to go back to your point of you got to run those like what do you do when your technology goes down technology is great but only when it works right mm-hmm so uh, that that scene, though, I just want to tell you, was an homage to a movie back from the 50s called Run Silent, Run Deep, where apparently they had to do that. It. Yeah. And they like <laughs> one of the things they really wanted was for this to feel like a submarine warfare episode. And that was part That's of how a they. Good point. Yeah. It, yes, it does have that feel to yeah. it. But I mean, even just the way they, they shot that that scene mm-hmm. felt different from how they normally portray things happening on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like break down and analyze exactly what they did, but yeah, it, it was definitely different, but it was good. So the very opening of the episode, Cisco is down on this planet by himself. Okay. Your captain is down on the planet by himself, theoretically meeting with a sketchy informant that you know next to nothing about. Is he doesn't even know common? what he looks like. He doesn't even know what he looks like. I know. Like, is it, it, do you know that he actually exists? I mean, Riker would never let Picard do that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, even just having like, I would have expected when he's walking through that little town or camp or wherever those people were, like you glance over and you see like Dax under a hood or something like that. Like there's someone there that he, he is friendly to him, but isn't interacting with the main characters just but he is there just in case something goes wrong right that's what i would have expected mm-hmm. but no he's down there all by himself and i'm like is this standard like it just seems super sketchy to me like i'm guessing yeah they specifically requested that you know captain cisco come alone blah blah, blah. but i don't know i don't know we've talked about that many times you don't let your captain go to go anywhere alone no. like that no don't let him i think the rest of the notes i have then really just come down to this giant chess match of an episode between Eddington and Cisco. All right. Well, I mean, let's, let's get into it. You're talking about obviously the spot where Cisco is stopping at nothing to track down the Federation trader, Michael Eddington, but Eddington always seems to be one step ahead of him the whole time. That is until Eddington mentions Lay Miz, which gives Ben an idea of how to defeat Eddington. Ben will have to become the villain and go to a pretty extraordinary lengths to capture his foe. Dun, dun, dun. So every time in this episode that Eddington and Cisco have a conversation, Mm -hmm. there's probably a chance that you could pull some kind of like Star Trek message out of their conversation. I'll just tell you right now, I didn't. Um, So if there's anything along those lines you want to talk about, you're you're probably going to have to bring it up. Okay. But um, they were good conversations from the beginning, from the beginning. And and there are always little things that I sat there and made me think it's like, man, you got a point there. 
And like, sometimes it was Cisco and sometimes it was Eddington that I was agreeing with. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like Eddington from the beginning, like these people don't want to be resettled. They want to go home and live the lives that they built. Right. Like, okay, I get that. I get that. But then Cisco fires back. It's like, these people are not the victims of the, of the Cardassians. They're not the victims of the Federation. They're victims of the Maquis. You sold them on this dream that they might actually be able to go back to those lives. Right. When he's basically saying, you know, that's not an option anymore. Like that's the past. They need to move forward. And you're kind of just holding them here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, you, now you have a point, Cisco. Like I, maybe it's just great writing that they, they got me, you know, pulling me both ways back and forth. And, and it's, it's, I've told you before, I, I, I usually like to let the writers take me on a journey. Sure. I, I'm not here trying to figure out the episode all the time. I'm not here trying to uh, disprove everything or, you know, I'm, I'm not even necessarily rooting for one guy or the other. Right. So, sometimes I am, but um, yeah, this episode just goes back and forth and back and forth. But even though, like we said, there isn't really a B plot, there's just this one big plot the whole episode. And normally I would say, well, that's going to get kind of boring and drawn out. And it's like they they should have thrown a B plot in there to spice things up and split it up and keep my attention. But no, mm-hmm. in this case, they had my attention the entire episode and it was fantastic. So, I mean, Matt, w- would you agree this episode's pretty straightforward, right? Like it's, you know, Eddington dangles a carrot in front of him. Cisco bites. He doesn't do it. They take him off. Then they got to put him back on. There's this whole thing with the other guy who frankly doesn't really matter. <laughs> when you, the other guy, you mean the other captain? Yeah. The other captain. Okay. I, like, Cause I was going to ask about him eventually. Too. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that. They actually, like, they intended him to be a recurring character and they forgot about him and never brought well, him back. Cause I was going to say, I, I don't think we ever got his name. I think Cisco always just referred to him as captain. You might be right. I don't, I don't recall his name off the top of my head either. I'm sure he, yeah. I'm sure he has one. I bet I could look it up right now. I'm not going to, I, uh, but like, but, yeah, yeah, it might be in the credits somewhere, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know that they ever gave us his name. Like they mentioned his ship a lot. Right. And then when, when Cisco's talking to him, he, uh, he always just let, like, so captain, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't know that they ever mentioned the name. Right. Because usually I make a note of those things just for, for reference. Mm-hmm. So with all that, um, I think the most important thing, though, is the lay biz comparison where Cisco, you know, Eddington gives him the thing and Cisco sits up and goes, OK, I'll become the villain. And yes. I think we've got to talk about what Cisco did. That was the huge twist. That's what we got to talk about. I was excited to see where where it was going. All right. So so take me through your experience of going, he's not really going to bomb this planet. He's bluffing. He's not going to bomb this planet. <gasps> I had he did no it. doubt oh. in my mind that he was going to order the strike. Did you really? Had, even if he had to press the button himself. Now, I still have questions. Okay. Like Cisco should lose his job forever and be put in a brig somewhere? No. Okay. No. Okay. Like part of me wonders, and I think that they imply that it's not this way, mm-hmm. but part of me wonders, like, did he actually poison the planet? Mm. He obviously did something that had an effect on it. Right. Which I was thought was very interesting that we could see that effect from space. <laughs> That felt wrong, but right. I, I understand. They they did what they needed to do to, to to show it to the audience that something was happening. But there's no way we'd be able to see that from space. Um, mm-hmm. But part of me wonders if, if he just, you know, would have attached something to cause a reaction to get them to freak out and say, yeah, he actually did fire something at the planet. We have no reason to believe it's not what he told us it was. And that we need to leave now. So like to me, th- that's, that's the, the route that I thought they would have gone. Yeah. And that last little conversation that Cisco had with Dax would have been, so captain, what'd you actually fire at the planet? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, it's just this harmless, blah, blah, blah. Sugar water. But, it was sugar water. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Right. But that's not, not what we get. And we get the the conversations like, did you get permission? And it's like, I knew I forgot something. And I'm like, okay, I feel this would fly on Voyager. Yeah. You're in a different quadrant by yourself, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She could get away with a lot easier over there, right? It, and no she's under extre- and she's under extreme circumstances and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Absolutely. She she doesn't have the ability to call and ask for permission. So she just has to make her best choice, right? Uh-huh. But Janeway is a lot more 
Picard, I think, than Cisco is. She's a lot more straight and narrow. She's got a lot more to prove, you yeah. know? Cisco, you know, Cisco shows in this instance that he's willing to disregard his own ethics and his own Starfleet policies, violate Starfleet policy to get the job done when he thinks it's warranted. He's a rebel. He's a wild card. And honestly, the way you just described it made me think he's a bit more Kirk. So I'm Matt, you're nailing everything today. That's what they intentionally did (laughs) when they wrote the episode. They're like, he's going to do something that Picard would not have, but Kirk probably would have. So, uh, you know, a lot of times people look at this and they go, that's not Starfleet. That's not Star Trek that, you know, it's a criticism they bring against what Cisco is doing here. And you're like, no, Kirk would totally do this. Yep. Kirk would absolutely do something like this. Picard wouldn't. And we say it's not because Picard wouldn't do it. And Picard is Starfleet to us right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so I don't think I ever really understood what he was doing. Uh, you know, the idea is Eddington did something to the cart to the worlds that made it inhabitable for Cardassians to live there. But like everybody else was okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Apparently was, they have the same thing they can do with humans, <laughs> but everybody else is okay. And that, that's all he did. He's always like, gets me. Yeah. He's like, well, you did this to a few people. Well, and I'm sitting here going, okay, if I'm a Cardassian and I now own these, these, these planets, I'm going to put the, you can't be a human and live here stuff out on all mm-hmm. these. You know what I mean? Like if I just took over the, if I'm Cardassian, that's what I would do. Why is it this? The Federation has this chemical agent. Um, oh, but there's a, well, you know, what he did was he leveled the playing field. That was the the phrase that Ronald D. Moore used. Cisco just leveled the playing field uh, between the Cardassians and the monkey. That's all he did. Oh, he didn't yeah. kill anybody unless they didn't get out when he warned them. To. Well, exactly. Unless they didn't get out. Uh, that's their fault. He and, gave plenty of warning. Well, he, he gave him an hour warning and said, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Get out now. Yeah. And nobody did until he actually fired. So yeah. I, cause I uh, like, cause he's starfleet. He wouldn't do that. Would he Matt? That's what they thought. That's what they were betting on. But as soon as he said, I need to become the villain. Right. Cisco's going to play that out to the fullest. Yeah, but Matt, I have no doubt in my mind. But in every other episode, he's going to bluff. I mean, even you are sitting there thinking, I, oh, he was just going to shoot something else in there and not it. He, mm-hmm, it's a bluff. Mm-hmm. He didn't but, bluff. But, that, but, but, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I knew he was going to fire. Yeah. I didn't know what he was going to fire. And yeah. like I said, that, that, that final conversation kind of confirms at least... I assume that's why they put that in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was a little bit of comedy to to lighten mood at the end of it too. Sure. But yeah, I mean, he will have everyone believe at least mm-hmm. that he actually did that. Uh, so it, it, it's, he needed to prove his point. Yeah. He needed to become the villain because I, that, that, that was another one of those, those kind of revelation moments in here where he's like, Eddington sees himself as the hero of this story. Right. And so many, I mean, we don't get enough of this. And I think Marvel is starting to do more of this type of thing where we get like stories from not always the hero's point of view or who we consider the hero usually. Right. But, you know, turn that on its head a little bit and, and take this from the, the villain's point of view. Mm-hmm. Or actually maybe Disney is a better, better idea of this yet. Um, I, I haven't watched it yet at this point, uh, but I know like Cruella. Like they're focusing on what we know as the villain of the story. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always kind of been that way when people dive in and discuss these. It's like, well, to them, they are doing the right thing. They are doing what they think is best. Sure. And I mean, that's what we hear from Eddington time and time again throughout this episode. Right. He, he, he keeps telling Cisco, it's like, we're fighting, you're fighting a war, but you're on the wrong side, man. Mm-hmm. You need to come to our side. You're on the wrong side. And so he thinks he's doing what's best. Right. And so that's why to, like, like I said, to defeat him, to defeat the hero, he needs to go full villain. So Matt, here's the question. Would you ever play chicken with captain Cisco? No, 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 that no. Here's the, here's the real question. How far would you be willing to bend the rules and take extreme action and become a villain if it served the greater good, even if it violates all your principles, because that's what he did. He violated his principles. You know, he violated Starfleet policy for sure, just to get to the, you know, in this case, just to get to the bad guy, but to serve the greater good, to end the Maquis threat. You you said it. You said it. Oh, what? The oh, greater the greater good. good. Oh, yeah. Ex- yes. And that's why he's the real villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, as soon as you said the greater good, I'm like, oh, that's, that's villain speak. Uh-huh. Um, me personally. Yeah. With my personality, mm-hmm. I would have a very, very, very hard time doing that. 
I want to believe that there may be a set of circumstances I can picture that that I might go so far, but one, it had it would have to be a very specific set of circumstances, and two, I think once again in reality, it, it would just play out in my head, and I wouldn't actually do it. Yeah, like I think that there may be one one specific set of circumstances I could I could play out in my head in which I would I would do that, and I could justify it to myself, like yes, that was the right thing to do. But I still don't think I could ever actually do it. Yeah. Here's the thing, knowing my personality. If the action would result in something like bringing about the end of a war, Mm -hmm. like something huge like that, you know, or maybe even turning the tide in a war or something of that nature, I think I would do it. If it was something as much as just to get his own personal pride back in line, because to me, that's my, that's the problem that I have with this at the end of the day is why Cisco did it. Yeah. Like he wasn't going to hurt. Cisco wasn't hurting the Federation to allow Michael Eddington or the Maquis to stay out there. You know, this became personal for Cisco and he went through that because of a personal vendetta against Michael Eddington, you know, which we saw earlier when Cisco was in the box and, you know, they took the assignment away from him and Cisco's like, no, he's right in front of my face the whole time. And I never saw it. And you know, it, it, this was a personal thing for, for Cisco. It yeah. didn't, it didn't real like, yes, they needed to get their guys under control. Yes. They're outlaws. That to me is not a big enough reason to do what they did. You know, now to be fair, all they did was just say human life can't stay here. And if you didn't leave now, he only gave him an hour. That's not enough time, dude. Like, no, that's not enough time. Like we li- you got to give people weeks, you know, to get their crap together and get off and plan and evacuate and all that kind of stuff, you know? So uh, that's, that's my problem that I have here, but I do think that I would do it if the circumstances were actually much bigger. Well, well, I, I, I think part of the reason for his hour timeline was that Eddington and crew were like on their way to the next Cardassian planet already. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he needed to prevent them from, you know, bombing another planet mm-hmm. with their anti-Cardassian drugs. Mm-hmm. So like that, that, that was kind of his plan, but like, I mean, his whole theory behind, you know, why he was doing it, like he said, and you kind of brought this up a little bit, but the Maquis have become an, an intolerable threat and I'm going to eliminate that threat. Yeah. Like that was his justification for doing what he did. Right. And now, as you said in the beginning, should Cisco probably lose his job for what he did? Probably. Is he going to, for the sake of the series? I don't think so. Right. Um, <laughs> but even in reality, unfortunately, like sometimes you see this people in power do dumb things and should be held more accountable, but because of their station or because of who they know, we don't always see those things happen. And so I don't think it's completely out of line with like that kind of reality that Cisco is allowed to stay where he is. And we also know people don't get fired in Star Trek. Because otherwise, Data and Worf and probably Picard (laughs) a time or two and Riker and, you know, all those other people would get, Odo would have been fired by now. Um, But yeah, Matt, you know, that's, to me, that's the episode. Yeah. What do you do in the middle of all that? It's a good episode. It's a good question. It's a good question. It really is. And we end with Eldington is now in custody. But it seemed too easy. Mm. Well, he, I mean, Cisco played Eddington. Okay. Here's here's a question. Let me ask you this. Do you think Eddington set this up so that he could sacrifice himself and become a hero? Like, was this whole thing really about Eddington's pride or was this, as I said, really just about Cisco's pride? Like, was it really about Eddington or was this just Eddington being overdramatic or, or whatever, you know, and he gave in when, you know, he didn't see a way out. Well, I think I could see it both ways, but I do kind of feel that when they first brought up Les Mis, mm-hmm. they kind of gleaned some initial information from it, but right. then kind of let it sit for a while. So I was very glad when Cisco came back to it and dug deeper because that's something you don't always see. I'm like, he sent him that for a reason. Like, uh-huh. I don't know how deep it goes, but he sent him that for a reason. And I want them to explore that. And they kind of ignored it for a little while. I'm like, so I, I was kind of happy when they came back to it and started digging deeper and, and made deeper connections with it. Now to your question, whether or not, you know, like that was all part of the bigger plan for Eddington mm-hmm. because I like good bad guys. I want that to be all, all part of his plan, 
but I don't think it was. I think that more than anything, that was kind of his ego getting in the way. Mm. And he kind of tipped his hand and that was his downfall. Like if he hadn't been so egotistical to send that to Cisco. Right. Like he made the reference once, I think, but he, he wouldn't have sat down and made that started reading it and made that connection. Right. And he wouldn't have come up with the plan to to capture him then. So, like, honestly, I think that that was his Eddington's downfall. All right. All right. But Eddington's in custody. Cisco yep. got his man. And Cisco went a little crazy. Let's just say, don't mess with that man. As you said, don't play chicken with him, right? Yep. All right, Matt. Well, that's all I got on this episode. Those are, those are I think, the big highlights of it. Do you got anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I think that works for me. All right, Matt. Well, I will officially ask you, although I think I know the answer to all of these. Did you like this episode? Would you want to watch it again? And do you understand why this was part of our run? Yes, yes, and yes. I think maybe you don't understand why this was part of our run. I think you may think you understand, but I think you may not actually understand. And if anybody out there would like to understand, (laughs) go back to our charting the course episode where we talked about this. I talked about it with my guy, Jeff Aiken from the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast. You guys will go over there, check that out. We had an in-depth conversation about this particular episode and whether or not we should even include this episode and why and where it would go and all of those sorts of things. So you guys make sure you check that out. Matt, I'm curious. Matt, well, I I can't, I'm going to look over to the left and take a drink. Because I can't do it. But Matt, would you like to know what we're watching next week? That would be useful. All right. Well, we're going to jump back over to Voyager because we are doing these in air date order, which is a very interesting way to do this, by the way. And next week is going to be a two-parter, Matt. But it's not an official two-parter. Okay. This is one of those where I'm taking two episodes that are loosely related and I'm smushing them together. But I believe, if memory serves, they're actually back-to-back episodes in Voyager. Okay? Okay. Matt, if you'll remember, the last time on Voyager, we did an episode called Fair Trade with Neelix where they entered a place called the Necrit Expanse. Mm -hmm. This big, huge thing. Well, these next two episodes deal with what happens in the Necrit Expanse. Okay. And there's some stuff that happens that we're going to want to talk about. We want to talk about both of them. They're mostly independent episodes from each other, though. I will let you know. All right. So just just be ready for that. But basically, we need to get you through the expanse. And um, smushing these together was actually Phil's idea, the guy that did the charting course episode for Voyager season three. And I'm going to stick with what he recommended because I, I like I like smushing these two together for a weird reason which we'll talk about it. But the name of those two episodes are called blood fever and unity. And I have no extra viewing episodes to give you on deep space nine. So Matt, that's going to do it for us this week here at beam me up a star Trek podcast. Hey guys out there. We'd like to know your thoughts on this episode. What would you have done? Would you go crazy for the greater good? Would you become the villain? Write to us and let us know. Beam me up pod at gmail.com or head over to beam me up pod.com for more ways to contact us. Matt, how can the folks out there contact you? You can get a hold of me personally on Instagram or Twitter at as a matter of Matt. And if you guys want to get in touch with me, you can find me at Brent Allen live across all the social medias. I'd love to connect with you there as well, too. Until next time, folks, live long and prosper. Prosper.